2. As we move back to the book of Acts, if you were with us before our Easter series, we had began and worked through chapter 1 and the first section of chapter 2. We're picking back up there this morning. Acts chapter 2, in just a minute, we'll begin in verse 14. Uh, but as we look at today's text, to kind of give you a little bit of a reminder where we were, what we were looking at, in Acts 2, we saw the day of Pentecost. Uh, we saw as that day came that Jesus fulfilled the promise that he had made to his followers, that he would give them the Holy Spirit, that he would send the Holy Spirit to them, and that when he did, that the Holy Spirit would empower them to be Christ's witnesses. And we saw exactly that taking place. The Holy Spirit descends and makes it very clear what's going on. And then as they received the Holy Spirit, they were able to go out into Jerusalem where thousands of people were there to celebrate uh, the Feast of Pentecost. And they're able to share with all of these thousands of people in all of their different languages uh, by the miraculous ability of speaking in tongues. So these men that don't speak all of these languages go out because of the Holy Spirit within them. They're able to do that. And then there was the response of the people. All of the people in Jerusalem that saw this taking place, some of them didn't understand what was going on, and so they said, listen, all these people speaking this gibberish, they must be drunk. And then today we will pick up as Peter gives a response to that, as Peter helps these people to understand exactly what is going on. And so the, the title, and I don't often spend any time talking about the title of a sermon, but today's title is, For the Bible Tells Me So. You know, y'all know a song that has that as part of it? Y'all ever sang, Jesus Loves Me Before? We're going to sing that together in just a bit. But as we look today, what Peter is going to do I want to make sure and point this out. What Peter is going to do in helping the people see that these people aren't drunk, but that they are being led by God's Spirit according to God's will, is he's going to point to the Scriptures and say, how do we know what's going on? For the Bible tells us what's going on. And then he's going to continue a little bit further, and he's going to tell them that Jesus, and there's going to be this high, high Christology in this sermon. He is going to praise Jesus and exalt Jesus and lift up Jesus and point them to Jesus over and over. How do we know that Jesus is Lord? How do we know that he is Christ? How do we know these things time and time again in this text? Peter is going to say, look to the scriptures. How do we know all of these things? For the Bible tells us. So look with me in Acts 2 beginning in verse 14 as Peter responds to their accusation. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And then he gives a quote from the book of Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy... And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. 
And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so I want to stop there for just a moment. So really we'll see three different citations here. Peter is going to quote three different Old Testament texts. And as he does, we'll take each one of them as its own section. But what Peter is doing here is just using this prophecy from Joel, from the book of Joel, to make the case that what's going on is not because these people are drunk. What's going on is not some random occurrence. It's not uh, these followers of Christ just trying to do something that they've never been able to do before. But what is happening is the Holy Spirit of God has been poured out on His people, which has always been the plan. What Peter's saying to them. So why is he quoting from the Old Testament? Well, at this point in time, there wasn't a New Testament. And the people that he's speaking to were Jewish people. They were Hebrew people. So whenever you spoke to a, a Hebrew person, when you spoke to a Jew living in this time, and you said, the Bible says, or the Scriptures say, what they were expecting was for you to quote the Old Testament, because that was their Scriptures. Uh, it was amazing to me the first time I heard somebody say this, how much sense it made. But when Jesus was walking the earth, Jesus' Bible was the Old Testament, right? That's how that worked, because the things that took place in the New Testament were either while he was here or in the future. So why is he quoting from Joel? Why is he twice going to quote from Psalms? Because he's speaking to Jewish people, and that was their Bible at this day and time. But what Peter says here is, listen, think about the Scriptures. Think about the book of Joel and you'll realize that this is not some random occurrence. This is God's will playing out. And so he just let me paraphrase, if you don't mind, for just a moment what he's telling them here from Joel. He says, In the last days God will pour out His Spirit freely and those that belong to the community of faith will receive Him and many of them will prophesy and see dreams and visions. And as we see here, even speak in tongues. So point one, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on his followers. And that was part of God's plan. That's what Peter says to them. So they say, we think they're drunk. He says, they're not drunk. They're speaking in tongues because they've received the Holy Spirit, which God already told us was going to happen through the prophet Joel. Not only did he tell us there, not only do we see in the Old Testament that this would take place, we see it in the New Testament as well. In John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8, Jesus prophesied that this would happen. He said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So this was part of God's plan, that the Spirit would come. And when he came, he would do these things. We'll see in just a moment that that's going to happen on this day. All right, next section is where Peter really builds the case for what I believe to be the main point of this text. Peter is going to build an extensive case in the next few verses that Jesus... Now, there's a big hurdle for him to jump here. Peter speaking to a bunch of Hebrew people many of which who just cheered at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, is going to try to convince them that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And he does it so convincingly that thousands and thousands of them are going to be saved on this day. Look with me in verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he has not abandoned to Hades, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So here Peter is building the case for what he's going to tell us in just a few minutes in verse 36, that Jesus is Lord and Christ. That Jesus is God and Messiah. That Jesus is both God and the one that was sent to save human beings from sin. That's what he's building a case for here. The whole, this whole morning, that's what I want you to tune your antenna to. This is what you're listening to hear. What in the Bible proves to me that Jesus is God? And what in the Bible proves to me and shows me clearly that Jesus is the one that came to save sinners? And so here we see several different things. The first one is given to us in verse 22. God gave evidence that Jesus is God by the mighty works and wonders that he did through Jesus. It says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you, right? Shown to you, proven to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. So there's the first evidence that God gives because of the miracles that Jesus performed. Miracles unlike anyone else had ever performed, God was using that to show these people that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah. That's what he was proving. He, that's why he says he was attesting to you. So God uses these things to show them that Jesus is not just an ordinary man, that he's not just a prophet, that he's not just a good speaker, that he is altogether completely different than any human being that they'd ever seen. Those mighty works, those miracles, miracles were to show that Jesus is truly God. Look in verse 25, because in verse 25, he gives us another Old, Test an Old Testament quote. He quotes here uh, from the Psalms, from, from Psalm 16. And when you read Psalm 16, and you know that David wrote it, and you read that it's in the first person, it seems like David is saying this about himself. He says, I saw the Lord always before me, 
For he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. So Psalm 16 is a first-person account where someone is saying, I will not go to the realm of the dead people. That's what it means when it says, my soul will not be abandoned to Hades. Hades was the, the place that people went after they died. And Jewish thought, this is, uh, in this prophecy, what he's saying is, I will not die and go to the place where dead people go. He also says, or let your Holy One see corruption. So it seems that David is saying, listen, whenever I die, I'm not going to the place that dead people go. And whenever I die, my flesh will not start to decay and break down because I'm not going to be left in the grave. That's what this Psalm, that's what Psalm 16 is saying. And if you think it's written by David, then what you would expect is that David did not stay dead, that David came back to life, that David was resurrected, that David, even in his bodily form, was just taken to heaven. But Peter says, brothers, I can tell you with confidence that David both died and was buried, and his tomb's with us to this day. So Peter's saying, if this psalm says, the Holy One of God, the Messiah, the Christ was somebody that would die and be bodily raised and his body taken up to heaven, then it can't be David. Because David's body's right over there in the graveyard, is what Peter's saying to them. So who is it? Who is it that, that died and didn't stay dead and was bodily resurrected and taken up to heaven? Well, we know who that is, and these people all know who it is because they've just heard the account of Jesus' resurrection. They've just seen that take place recently. And so Peter is saying to them here, he's saying that what David is doing is not talking about himself, but he's prophesying about the Christ. Verse 31, He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. So what he's doing here is he's saying that David in Psalm 16 was prophesying about Jesus. This whole time they had read Psalm 16, thinking he was talking about David, and Peter says, you've been reading it wrong the whole time. It wasn't talking about David, it was talking about Jesus. So here's the second bit of evidence. The first evidence that we had that Jesus is God is the mighty works and miracles. The second evidence that we have is his resurrection. Jesus' bodily resurrection shows that he is the Christ, because the scriptures had already said that when the Christ comes, he will not be abandoned to Hades. His body will not decay. He will not stay dead. There's only one person that's done that, and that's Jesus. And so this is proof from the scriptures that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Or as we see in Psalm 16, the Holy One. Whichever those terms you want to apply to Jesus, the Scripture shows that it's true. There's one other that we see here. Look with me, pick back up in verse 32. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Verse 36 is the thesis statement for this lengthy text we're looking at today. Everything else is building to that point. Everything else is either showing you that that is true or it is a reaction to that. But what he is doing is he is proving that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus is Christ. Evidence given because of the miraculous works. Evidence given through Psalm 16 showing that the one who was resurrected and not abandoned to be dead is the Christ. And then here we see another psalm, Psalm 110, that says that the one that would come as Lord, the Messiah, God, when He came, would be ascended into heaven instead of staying here. Now again, he tells us that this did not happen of David. For David did not ascend into the heavens. Now he's not telling you that David didn't go to heaven. That's not what Peter's saying here. What Peter is saying here is that in bodily form, David's body was not taken up into the heavens. We trust, and we're not going to get into all this this morning, but we trust that there will one day be a bodily resurrection for all of us that are, that are uh, Christians, that have faith in Christ, that have given Him our life, right? One day, the graveyards across the street, whenever Christ returns, they're giving up their dead, and people will be bodily resurrected to be with Him. That has already happened of Christ. He has already been resurrected bodily and gone ascended to heaven in bodily form. He's saying up here, that didn't happen with David. He's not telling you that David's soul's not in heaven, but he's telling you that David's body's not in heaven. David's body's in the tomb. He's already showed them that. So what does this mean whenever it says, uh, quoting Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What that psalm shows us is that whoever came and was taken up into heaven to sit at the right hand of God, to have judgment and authority over all people, to have the favor of God, to sit in a place that only God is able to sit, that that person will be proven to be the Lord, will be proven to be the Christ, will be proven to be the Messiah. Who is it that did that? And Peter says here, it's Jesus. It's not David. Not you, it's not me, it's not anyone else. Jesus is the only one that has been taken up into heaven. In their sight, many of them there here this day saw him ascend and be taken into heaven. And so they know for a fact that Jesus is Lord and Christ. Point two this morning. The scriptures are clear that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. Now, what we have done this morning is we have seen without the New Testament, even if you didn't have the New Testament, the Old Testament makes clear that Jesus is both Lord and Christ. If anybody ever challenges you, show me that Jesus is Lord and Christ, that He is God without the New Testament. So let's look at Psalm 16. Let's look at Psalm 110. Let's look at Joel. You can look in the Old Testament and see this truth. It's, it, the whole Bible attests to the fact that Jesus is God, brothers and sisters. It's not some new phenomenon. We've known it and shown it all the way through. Why do I believe that Jesus is who He says He is? Because the Bible tells me so. 
And these terms are significant. Before we move to the last little section, I don't want us to miss, when he says that, that Jesus is Lord and Christ, those are extremely significant terms because, again, Peter's speaking to a bunch of Jewish people. And when they said Lord, they were talking about God the Father. They were talking about Yahweh. That term infers divinity. When you say someone is Lord, you're saying that they are divine, that they are God. And so when he says to these people that Jesus is Lord, it's no small claim. He's not saying that Jesus is, is in some way kin to the Father. He's saying Jesus is God. That's what he's saying to these people. And he's saying that David's already told them that Jesus is God. The scriptures have already said that Jesus is God. And wherever he says Christ, that he is the Lord and Christ, again, Christ is the New Testament Greek term for the Old Testament Hebrew word Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the Holy One. He is the Savior that was going to come from heaven to redeem God's people. And so Peter says right here, the scriptures are clear that Jesus is God and Jesus is Savior. And we already saw that in Joel because in Joel it told us, everyone who calls upon the name of the what? Lord shall be saved. Whose name do you have to call on to be saved? Jesus. Why? Because he's Lord and he's Christ. All right, the last thing, how do you respond to that? Right, we see from the scriptures, from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, that Jesus is clearly who he says he is, that Jesus is God, that Jesus is the Savior. How do you respond to that? Well, in verse 37, they ask the same question. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So they respond, they hear all of this, and they're convinced. They're convinced that they missed it, that when Jesus was here that they missed it, but that he is truly Lord in Christ, that he is God. And so they say, as they're cut to the heart, right, as, as the Holy Spirit convicts them of sin, that they are cut to the heart and they are broken because of what they have done. They're broken over their sin and over their own actions. And so they say, what shall we do? Or what can we do in response to this now that we realize what we have done? And Peter calls them to do what we are all called to do, to repent and to follow Christ. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And I'm not going to go through all the explanation this morning, but when you are baptized, what you are doing is you are following Christ. You're following His command. You're following His example. We're told in Romans 6 that you are baptized into His death, that you are identifying with Christ, that you are publicly displaying that, that Christ is your Lord, that you're giving your life to Him. And so what is it that we are supposed to do in response to the fact that we are sinful people and have done things that we should not have done and that Jesus is the Holy One, the God that left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died in our place to save us from our sins and then came back to life and was ascended into heaven. How do we respond to that? We repent. 
We repent of all of our sin. We repent of our selfishness. We repent of our pride. We repent of thinking that we're better than other people. We repent of all of these things. We leave those behind and we follow Christ. Point three, recognizing our sin should lead us to repent and follow Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you ever done that? Not just said those words, because I know that if you're here this morning, that you have the head knowledge to say, yes, Jesus is the Lord. But what we see in the scripture is that if that's not followed, if that's not a, if that's not a real thing in your heart, if you are not really making him Lord, it does not matter if you say that. I can say this morning, I am a citizen of the United Kingdom. But it does not make me a citizen of the United Kingdom, does it? No. It doesn't change anything. It's just a word I said. So I ask you this morning, brothers and sisters, have you ever been cut to the heart because the Holy Spirit has convicted you that you're a sinner and that you're in need of a Savior? Has the Lord, as we see here, has God, in verse 39, has the Lord our God ever called you to Himself? Have you ever realized that you are lost on your own and that Jesus is the only way that you can be saved? Have you ever recognized with the sort of Christology that Peter has here that, that Jesus isn't just a little bit better than us, that he's not just a pretty good guy, but Jesus is God? Have you ever realized that he is perfect in every way? Have you ever realized that he is worthy of your whole life, that without him you wouldn't have been created, that none of these things would exist, that without him that we'd have no hope, that we'd be hopeless sinners, lost, living out a terrible uh, fruitless, unenjoyable life here, miserable because of our sin, and knowing that when we die from here, it's only going to get worse because we're going to hell forever. Have you ever realized that without Him, that's what our life looks like? And because of that, because of who He is, and because of what we've done, been cut to the heart and said, I no longer want to be my own. I no longer want to live my way. I no longer want to do these things, but I want to follow Jesus is truly God. He is truly the Christ. And if you've never realized that before today, but the Lord has used this text to bring you to that realization, praise God. What a day to celebrate. I pray that if you're here this morning and the Lord has brought you to that point, that you would come. Let me know. Ask some questions. Let's set up a time that we can meet. Let's let the church know so that they can be praying for you. As you walk through this process. But if the Lord is working and calling you to himself. Then don't, don't put him off. Don't tell him no. Maybe you're here this morning. And you just realize that, that you are a Christian. That you do have faith. But that you have not repented in the way that you should have. That there are things in your life that you still need to set aside. There are still things in your life that you're doing that you should not be doing. And I pray that the Lord uses this text to call you to lay those things to the side. Because if Jesus is truly Lord, then he should be Lord of all of our lives. And we should be willing to give up everything to follow him. So I'm going to invite you to stand this morning. I'm not going to be a liar. I told you that we we're going to sing, Jesus Loves Me. And this morning we're going to sing it. And I pray that as you sing it, that you're able to sing it as a truth. Not as a kid's song. Because when my kids sing Jesus loves me, I believe it's true. But when I sing Jesus loves me, I also believe it's true. So sing it this morning, brothers and sisters. What a great thing to sing, that Jesus loves me. But also in this song we have the reminder, how do we know that? Because the Bible tells us so. We're thankful.